Greetings. Welcome back to Sick Flick. I'm so excited to be back. I'm so excited to have you back here with me. Um, today's episode is going to be pretty casual again. Um, and it's going to be pretty short, I hope. I feel like it should be, but I guess we never know with me. But I plan on this being a pretty short episode. And to keep to keep with the theme of the short episode, we're just going to dive right in. Um, today's episode is going to be about my unpopular opinions related to some movies, TV shows, stuff like that. Um, but the first thing that we're going to cover is what's going on in the industry. And what I have for you this week is the secret quarantine um, film that Zendaya and the writer and director of Euphoria, Sam Levinson, did during quarantine, right? So if you have not heard the news, um, Zendaya recently came out or she posted this picture of her and John David Washington, Denzel Washington's son, the guy that was in The Black Klansman. She posted a still of them with the name of Malcolm and Marie come to find out that Zendaya, John David Washington, and Sam Levison, the writer and director of Euphoria, they 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 did a little they did a little project during quarantine. So the three of them, you know, and others of course, um shot a secret film during quarantine and it's titled Malcolm and Marie. It took place or the production took place um june 17th through july 2nd so pretty short production which i guess kind of makes sense and it came a bit after um they had to shut down the production for season two of euphoria they shut that down in march so it, it took a while but i guess sam levinson wanted to do something um in quarantine while their production had halted and Zendaya actually called him up to talk about doing a film also during quarantine. So she called him up about writing, directing a film. And six days later, he had already written the manuscript for it. And they quickly went into production after that. The synopsis is not, they haven't released really anything besides that one still and the name of the film but rumors are saying that it's going to echo marriage story um that is on netflix by i think his name is noah bombeck so kind of in the similar vein but also with elements that are more up to date with current times i guess you could say so that happened um so the investment for the film came from um, a lot of the above the line crew and various executive producers um, and investors, I guess. So I think Zendaya, John, Sam and his wife and other crew members, they, you know, put their own money into it, um, including Kid Cudi. So Kid Cudi got his name in this movie. I don't. I didn't read anything about him having any sort of part of it, but he did put some money towards this project, which I think is still cool. And all of the crew members followed the strict COVID, you know, procedures and protocols. I'm pretty sure that this production 
started after um, L.A. announced that they would start doing productions again. So it seems like they followed the same protocol that I think I briefly mentioned um, in one of our past episodes. So they did that. They also filmed um, at the Caterpillar House in California, which I think is just a like it's very beautiful if you see pictures of it online it's a very beautiful like green conscious house um and from what i read it led to a lot of interesting production shortcuts like i think they weren't allowed to use x amount of electricity so they had to rely a lot on like natural sunlight and stuff like that um but the house is very beautiful i do recommend you look at pictures if you can't because it does look very stunning and that's really about it that I have for the story um like I said there's no synopsis and there has been no talk about its release date they kind of have just announced that they did this you know project during quarantine um so look forward to seeing it um I have no idea when it's coming out like I said but when those rumors or comments start to stir up, I will probably let you know, but I'm really excited to see what it's about. I do, however, have one little caveat to the story, and I guess it's just a personal thing that I'm very weary of their relationship in this movie, just because Zendaya is so young. And John David Washington is not so young. He's like 35. She's what, 23. So it's still odd seeing them together because you just know how young she is. And she looks young. But I guess that's neither here nor there. That's none of my business. You know what I'm saying? So (laughs) Um, anyways, that's all I have for what's been going on in the industry for this week, at least. Um, Again, I'm excited to see when it comes out and what it's like um, and how it incorporates some of the current times. I think this is one of the first um, like things to come out of production post-COVID, which now everything is going to be post-COVID. We are now in a COVID slash post-COVID world. So I'll be excited to see how they incorporate that. But yeah, like I said, that's all I have. Um, And on to the content of this episode. So we're going to be doing our unpopular opinions. I do not have that many or I could not think of that many. Um, And a lot of them just are the fact that I didn't like stuff as much as I feel like everybody else did. But I'm excited to still talk about them and possibly see if it is truly an unpopular opinion or if maybe you share the same unpopular opinion as I do. But to dive right into it, going straight straight for the, um, I don't know, what's the saying? Straight for the neck? I don't know. Whatever. I My first unpopular opinion is I do not really care for slash like, call me by your name. I said it. I said it. I'm sorry. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I I guess I'll start by saying age 
age controversy aside, you know, we can talk about that later, but the age controversy aside, I, I just didn't really care for it. And I didn't really care for the way that it moved the story along. And I guess I can start by saying, which I don't think it necessarily diminishes my opinion of the film, but when I started hearing about it coming out, hearing that it was a movie and that it was coming out and was watching the trailers, I got really excited for the film because I was like, oh my gosh, like, I, I know I'm going to love this film, you know? I know that this film is going to speak to me, speak to my soul. And I was trying to find any way to get my hands on the story in the film without having to wait as long as I inevitably did. And so I found out that it was based off of a book. So I went to my local library and I rented the book or I checked out the book or whatever the library terminology is. And I read the book and I really, I did enjoy the book. Um, like I said, the age difference, it was weird at first. And I think the more that I read it, honestly and truly not that like I forgot about it but like the more that I became invested in the story I guess and I really started to enjoy the story and a main part of the story in the novel is that it is all written from Elio Elio's is that his name Elio's point of view um via his like journal or diary or whatever and so you get a closer look at how the relationship formed through Elio's perspective um but you also see a lot of the ways in which his actions counteract his like thought process you know so I guess for example a lot of their relationship um was spent kind of like a lot of the time that Oliver spent at the family's house um they were not in any sort of relationship and a lot of it was like Elio acting like he didn't really care about Oliver and so you know you you if you were to watch it you would see that he's not very interested in him but in his like journal you know he writes that you know I don't know I saw him and I felt this way, but I couldn't say anything because like I needed to be coy or whatever, you know? So it's like, he's acting one way from what he writes, but you get a, a better understanding of like who he is and what he's feeling because what he's writing down is what his true feelings are versus what he um, is showing in the novel, if that makes sense, you know? And so I feel like that was a very big, um, driving force for the plot, but also for better understanding the formation of their relationship, but also getting a better understanding of like Elio's character as well. And I felt like since the movie didn't incorporate him writing in his journal or him expressing the thoughts that he would express in his journal, that ultimately it diminished the integrity of the plot I guess you could say because like you see him act this way it I guess hmm I'm trying to find the best way to like speak about it but my biggest thing was like 
Since you don't see Elio's perspective as clear as you do in the film, I felt like it hindered the plot a lot, yes. And I felt like it made their relationship feel a lot more rushed and a lot more awkward um, in the film than it ultimately feels in the novel, which I think diminishes, again, the plot overall. So there is that moment in the movie where he's writing um Oliver like a note for them to meet at some point because I feel like he starts to feel like you know Oliver's pulling away and there's the voiceover where he's writing the note and then you hear the voiceover of Oliver writing back to him and it's like had they done that part where you know it's a voiceover of him writing his thoughts out um throughout the movie I feel like it would have done such a better job at, again, like I said, understanding Elio's perspective, understanding their relationship more, and making the plot feel a lot less awkward than I feel like it ends up feeling. Um, and I think it just would have made the film better. And I know that a lot of people have issues with voiceovers they feel like it's kind of like cheap plot device maybe of moving again the plot forward and I think in a lot of instances it does like in our beloved like coming of age films they do a lot of voiceovers to like speed through their entire life up until that point but this isn't what the film would be doing it's not trying to catch you up it's literally trying to inform you on the deep-rooted feelings that Elio has for Oliver, you know? And it gives you a much more in-depth perspective of their relationship so that the moments that they show on screen mean so much more because you know how much, like, Elio has been thinking about this or how much he has been overthinking his action in this regard, you know? Because a lot of the action or a lot of Elio's behavior in the beginning of the film or in the beginning of their relationship, um, it again, it, it looks very nonchalant. And I think what makes it so like much more heartfelt in the novel is that you know that every every action, even his like every every action, even like him being nonchalant, was thoroughly thought through and like meticulously crafted in a way I guess you know so it's like him not looking at him in this moment you know in the movie you're just like okay he's not interested or he's yeah he's not interested but in the book it's like he's interested he just was trying to put up a front because he was trying to like impress him or seem like he wasn't as interested and I think again it just leads to like a much better story and I felt like when they did not include that in the film, it made their relationship feel so much more awkward and more rushed and just disingenuous, I guess. Um, that was really my biggest part of why I didn't really care for it. I also felt like there were some editing issues I didn't really like. Like there are parts in the movie where I feel like if scenes were... If they had dragged on, well, I guess dragged on implies like a negative connotation, but like if they had like, 
if we would have just sat with the scene for like three seconds more, it would have felt so much more meaningful. And I feel like there are a lot of moments in the movie where they cut scenes so, so quickly and so short. And so you really don't get to sit on any sort of feeling because it just quickly moves to the next scene, you know? So I don't know. I, I just, I couldn't get on the bandwagon and it, it, it truly breaks my heart because I like, I, I stand the movie before it came out. I was obsessed with the movie before it came out. I stand it even more after I read the book because I love the book. And so I just felt so heartbroken. And it's funny because I watched the movie on like one, two, three movies. And I was so like dissatisfied with the movie. I was like, surely I'm just watching the wrong movie. <laughs> you know, maybe something about me watching it through one, two, three movies. It's not the real movie. Like it is, it was like, I think before it even came out on theaters or something like it, it, it did not reach it either. I think it had just come out on theaters, I think. So it had just hit theaters. So I was like, you know, maybe I'm just watching like similar to, but not the movie. I tried to convince myself that I was not watching the movie. And then like I watched it legally and I was like, oh, this is still the same movie. And I don't like it. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't really care for it, um, honestly and truly. And again, that's kind of without the whole debate on their age and I won't get into that because it just doesn't pertain to my opinion I guess um but yeah didn't really care for it uh the next movie I did not really care for I actually did not like uh, that everybody seems to love oh I guess I have two in this in this same vein um I did not like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I also did not like Marriage Story. I will quickly talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I just really didn't care for it. I know that um, Tarantino has like his thing, his style or whatever is kind of like meandering plot lines. And to be honest with you, I don't watch a lot of Tarantino movies. I haven't seen most of them. Um, like I can't remember the last movie I've seen of his besides like kill bill the kill bills um i think i like briefly watched uh, what is it called the one with the uh, jamie fox in it what is it called oh the django unchained i think i've seen like parts of it but that was also when i was so fed up with like slavery movies where i was like i don't want to watch this um I know that that one scene where they're talking about the KKK hats is funny, but I don't really care. Um, yeah, so I'm not a huge Quentin Tarantino fan, I guess is unpopular opinion, but I also don't really watch his stuff, but I know that his thing is meandering plot lines. And even though that's his thing, I just felt like it did not help this movie at all. Um, I yeah, I really didn't care for it. I felt like a lot of the times it made for a more confusing storyline. It like jumbled the story way too much. Like the tangents it goes on are so long that I feel like it makes you just not care. 
it makes you not care on top of the fact that like I guess the really only notable characters like the only characters that you really care about are Leonardo DiCaprio's character and Brad Pitt's character which like the movie is about them so I guess but I just didn't like it I'm sorry I didn't like it and I know that and you also see a lot of like of Quentin Tarantino's just like the whole film bro problem in that film this whole foot fetish thing was absolutely disgusting like it made me it made me sick it really did it was so gross and so apparent like I don't know I don't know how this man getting away with it um and then with what Sharon Tate's character Margot Robbie she was so useless and she was useless because he made her useless and it goes to the fact that like all the criticism that everybody have for the film about how it treats her and just kind of overall female characters so poorly and so like like so decades back I guess which is a terrible way of saying it um but like it feels so outdated it feels so that's what it was it felt so outdated in the messages it was conveying like like it's 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 20 what 2019 why do you not have any like notable female characters that say anything you know why are we still objectifying a lot of our female characters why are we still projecting racism you know like why are we and it not even it's all it's it's always it's always covered up by like oh well this is a period piece so it's because of the times but it's like that whole bit with what was it supposed to be Jackie Chan's character? It, that was unnecessary. We didn't need that. You didn't need to put that in there. You know? That was offensive for no reason. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so, yeah. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. The only thing I did like was the ending. I really liked the ending. I'll give him that. I really liked the ending. It was really fun. Um, I know that he also likes to do like alternate ending type endings, I guess, where it's kind of like, well, what if this happened instead of that happened? And so in this case, it's like, instead of the, you know, terrible murder of Sharon Tate, they are like, well, what if DiCaprio's character and Brad Pitt's character kill the murders? And I liked it. I mostly liked how like funny it was how like Brad Pitt's character is like on drugs and like so he's tripping on drugs but also the callback to when DiCaprio's character um was doing that like I forget what it's called blowtorch fire torch thing the one scene where he has the thing that's shooting out fire I don't know and he brings that back and like torches somebody um I thought that it was a, I thought that was a great ending. I thought that it was a great ending. I enjoyed the ending, but I didn't enjoy the rest of the film. So, sorry. And with Marriage Story, I just, I just, I hated the acting and the writing. Especially Scarlett Johansson. I, you know what? 
before her whole like I can play a tree I can play race people <laughs> comment before that whole thing I never really like you know I never really had a problem with her and I don't think that she's a bad actress but I feel like this movie not even necessarily she was a bad actress but again I felt like the writing was so poor I really did that whole scene between her and Adam Driver that like went viral on Twitter it was terrible it was terrible you cannot you cannot convince me otherwise I really enjoyed Adam Driver's um performance and I feel like his performance and the general like directing of the film was actually really well done um I loved how it looked I really liked how it was directed I think the editing was fine um I think it was it looked very pretty um that was fine as well but I really did like Adam Driver's performance I feel like he was the best out of the whole thing um but Scarlett Johansson's character was just not good and I feel like the writing was so awkward and I honestly think that that's Noah Baumbach I think that's his name I think that's really just like his writing because I also watched the squid and the whale and I found it to be just as um clunky as it is in this movie and so I just don't think I'm a fan of his work I think that's honestly it. I don't think I'm a fan of his writing because um, I didn't really like it in The Squid and the Whale. And I especially did not like it in Marriage Story. And I do not, I really do not understand how, like, the white film Twitter, like, loved it. I really, like, I don't know how it got the nominations that it did from the Academy because I just did not think it was a very good movie. I'm not sorry, but yeah, I didn't like it. Another unpopular opinion I have is that I think, <laughs> I think The Wiz is a masterpiece. I stand behind that statement. I think The Wiz is a masterpiece and I feel like any of the low ratings I see, especially on Rotten Tomatoes, it's anti-black. I said it. I said it. I said it. I said it. You, the low ratings about the Wiz is anti-black. Point blank, period. Because you cannot watch that movie and not tell me it is not a masterpiece. It is a black iconic staple. I would go as far as to say it is one of the quintessential black films that I feel like everybody needs to watch. You know? The Black Musical, The Wiz, Dreamgirls, you have to, you have to, you have to. And they're great movies. They are great movies, critically, subjectively, objectively, period. So I don't understand why it has low ratings besides the fact that people don't like black people. That's what I think. That's what I think. Um, and I don't know what else to say. Like, it is a masterpiece. The songs are phenomenal. What? Those songs? Iconic. Those songs are iconic. You cannot convince me. Oh, my gosh. Like, wow. That's what I can say. Wow. It is a masterpiece. 
can't like okay i'm sorry um <laughs> that's really all i have to say it is a masterpiece and anybody that says no hates black people wow i made that statement i stand behind it um so that's really like i that's really all i have to say the next unpopular opinion i have i watched i think it's called urban rashomon possibly um it is a i don't i think it is a short film i think it is a short film or it is a short feature film Mm -hmm. but like i think it's around like 20 to 40 minutes um but if i'm wrong then like whatever i don't care so it is a film by Khalik Allah, and I really liked um, Black Mother. I did a whole report on Black Mother, but I decided to watch that because it was on my watch list, and I really liked his work with Black Mother, and I did not like it, or it 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 rubbed me the wrong way, I'll say that, because it is about essentially this relationship that Allah has with um, this homeless man in New York City. And I forget exactly how it goes. I think like he saw him and he started taking pictures of him because he thought it was really interesting. And they kind of formed this friendship. Um, and so every now and again, he would go and check back up on him, take some more pictures and whatnot. But the way that he spoke about their relationship and a lot of their interactions felt very exploitative and it felt very disingenuous in the way that like I've it felt like after a while um colleagues started to get a lot of enjoyment out of the deterioration of this man and he was more focused on capturing that than he was of trying to help this man, you know? So he would see him acting, you know, crazy on the street and take pictures. And sometimes he would give him some money or sometimes he would offer him some food, but that was really the extent of it. And he kind of only kept in touch with him to take pictures. Um, and it's like throughout this entire interaction or throughout this entire relationship they have, this man remains homeless. He remains, um, I guess, on drugs, which I'm not going to hold it to him. You know, I'm not going to say like, well, you knew him or you guys had a kind of close relationship. You should have took him under your wing. You should have paid for him for some help. You should have tried to help him with his drug addiction. You know, like I'm not necessarily going to say that because I guess at the end of the day, he does not owe him that. Um, but it, it, it just, like I said, it just felt, it started to really feel disingenuous because the way the way in which he speaks about their interactions and the way that he he talks about their relationships and when they would meet up to take pictures again it just you just it you start to hear about the links that he goes through in order to get these pictures and um the things that he does in order to get these pictures and nothing really about 
who this man was and any sort of real relationship they have. And I don't think he really ever talks about trying to, you know, give this man any sort of help besides a few dollars and buying him like food. And a lot of times, I mean, again, it's a great line, but you know, a lot of times he's also kind of feeding into any sort of the problems he has by buying him, you know, drugs and alcohol. Like I think he talked about one time he bought him K2. Like, I just, I just feel like the film is very exploitative and it started to make me feel really bad to watch it. Like it, it made me feel very uncomfortable to watch it because I felt like I was, I was feeding into that, like taking sort of mentality, you know, I, you start to see, um, this man as less of a human being and less of a person and more of a muse, you know, more of a figure that he is able to get inspiration from and less about someone that he formed a genuine connection with and thought was really interesting or was very photogenic or, you know, thought would help him convey some sort of story and I guess by the end of the film, um, like I said, it just felt very, it started to feel very icky, you know? So it, it's, it's a very captivating film. It's very interesting. And I really like the way that um, Khalid, I guess not necessarily continues because he more so continues that with Black Mother because it is a um, predecessor of this film but I like the way that through the sequence in which I watched it he continues to play with the auditory visual disconnection aspect because he the the film is comprised of various videos and pictures that he takes of the man and the story is um done through a voiceover of their experience, you know? So again, it's like with Black Mother where the visuals and the audio do not sync up. They are never in sync. Um, but they both go together to tell a general story. And so in that aspect, he's talking about what is happening through essentially like a slideshow of videos and pictures. Um, and again, I think that it's very interesting a way of creating a, sh a short film or creating a feature film. Um, but I think the overall story and the overall essence of the film really left me feeling uncomfortable because I feel like it, it more than anything showed that their relationship was very exploitative and it made me kind of question the ethics of his work going forward. Um, you know, I guess in regards to Black Mother, because Black Mother is not necessarily about, you know, poor, homeless people um, that suffer from, you know, mental disabilities or drug and alcohol addiction. You know, it's much more broader than that, and it doesn't really focus on that sort of group or community of like struggling individuals but it starts to make you wonder like 
okay, in in what context or by what intentions did he make this film or did he make that film, you know? Um, And what does that say about him and eventually me as a viewer watching it? So, yeah, I don't know. I don't really care for it for that reason. It's still a very beautiful film overall, I guess. Um, Maybe not overall because I think the essence of the story is very much a part of the integrity of the film, but I just personally didn't really care for it because I didn't really like um, how I, the intentions of the film, I feel like. So that's my opinion. Um, I guess my other unpopular opinion, (laughs) which... I said last week we weren't going to talk about it. And we're not going to really talk about it, but we're going to briefly talk about Art School Confidential. More so, the film that came before it by the same director, which is Ghost World. So, I watched Ghost World. I watched it after I had watched um, Art School Confidential and fell in love with Art School Confidential. And... From critic standpoint, Ghost World is kind of like a cult classic, I guess you could say. Um, but it also is pretty highly rated. And so, like, it is a vast difference from Art School Confidential because it is not very highly rated at all. My unpopular opinion is I did not like Ghost World. And I don't understand how people like it so much and how they don't like Art School Confidential as much or less than and I guess my main thing was just like I did not like the main characters I didn't like the main characters there was nothing I don't know like there was nothing that drew me to them there was nothing that made me root for them or made me want to see them do well and I just I could not get around to caring about them at all you know I think with Art School Confidential you you start to like Jerome and you really start to believe in his story and you really start to like root for him. Um, and then you start to see some of the things that he does that seem excessive or start to show fault in his character, I guess. And I don't think, I guess for me, I like not necessarily, I never stopped rooting for him, I guess you can say. Um, but there were some things where I was like, that's not a good move, you know? That's not a good move. I don't think that's good. I don't think you should do that, but you're still going to do it. But I hope you, you know, I hope you find that peace you're looking for. I hope you succeed. Um, and it really does do a good job of telling an underdog story through an interesting way. And I felt with Ghost World, there was no redeeming qualities about the two leads. And I also felt like there were a lot of points in the movie that felt unnecessary. The whole like art school um, part of the story, I feel like it didn't lead to anything, you know? It was interesting to see it and then to see Art School Confidential because you're like, oh, you probably took inspiration from that. You probably had a great time filming it. What did this do for this story though, you know? I didn't see it. I didn't see the vision. And I feel like none of the characters were that interesting. None of them were that intriguing. Um, 
the one guy, I forget what his name is, but the one guy that like the main girl kind of falls in love with, that was gross. First of all, <laughs> that was kind of gross. I didn't like it. I didn't like the relationship, but you like him more than anybody else. And I, you could say that maybe that's part of the story, but I feel like for lead characters, um, they just kind of suck. And they really ruined the movie for me, you know, like I thought that at the beginning they were kind of like rebels for a cause. They were edgy and um, angsty for some sort of reason. You know, they hated everybody because of something. But you just quickly start to realize that they just hate everybody because they do. They have like superiority complex, essentially. And I just, I don't know. I never, I never got around to it. And I never, I just don't understand why people like it so much because I didn't think it was that good. Um, I felt like Art School Confidential did a lot better with the things that they failed to deliver on, you know? I felt like it was a much better sequel or a much better follow-up um, than Ghost World was. I just didn't really like it that much. There's not much I can say about it, I guess. I just didn't really care for it that much. I felt like the two leads were vastly underwhelming and more annoying than endearing. And it really did not make me care for their storyline much at all scarlett johansson's character i guess becomes a little more um redeeming because i feel like you start to see her humanity more you know she starts to her cares and her disinterest start to make more sense and i feel like you start to understand her character a bit more through the fact that like she's actually yearning for something but the other girl, I just didn't see it. And overall, I just didn't care about them or the story. Um, so, yeah, that's really all I have to say. I didn't really care for it. But I love Art School Confidential. I feel like it is, honestly, the better film. And I don't understand why people don't like it. It don't make no sense to me. Um, but ending on a very controversial note... My last unpopular opinion is I do not think the ending to Game of Thrones was that bad. Ooh, sorry. Ooh, sorry. Um, yeah, I didn't think it was that bad. Here's what I have to say. Here's what I have to say, okay? The last season of Game of Thrones, god-awful. Absolutely horrendous. A shit show. I understand. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of things did not make sense. So many things were rushed. So many things were poorly constructed and poorly executed. I get it. I get it. Okay? I understand you. That's not what I'm trying to say here. Okay? What I'm trying to say is... The absolute ending, you know? Like, who became king of the Seven Kingdoms? 
was not that bad. And honestly, the more I sit and think about it, the more it actually starts to make sense. Now, listen, let's let's work through this together, okay? We knew it was never going to be John. Oh, side note, if you have not seen Game of Thrones, you might not want to listen to this part. You might want to skip to the last few minutes of this podcast um, whenever I'm wrapping up because this is going to talk about the series finale. So before I get into the juicy stuff, if you haven't watched it and you plan on, don't listen any further. If you don't care, you're crazy. But if you don't care, whatever, I can't stop you. So with that being said, John was never going to be the king. I know we all wanted that to happen. Maybe, kind of, you know, we all love John for whatever reason. He don't be doing anything, but we still love him regardless. But he was never going to be the king. Anytime anybody gave him any sort of leadership role, he found any way to leave it. So we knew that that was not going to happen. More obvious, we knew that Daenerys was not going to be the king either. Like, it was fun. It was cute. You know, we had a good time watching her make her way through the various kingdoms um, and, you know, conquering them one by one. It was real nice seeing her flame people literally and figuratively um and liberate people you know and be a decent queen but i think we all knew that she was never going to make it and especially towards the end of um this season or i guess this series you really start to see her deteriorate you know and you really start to see her deteriorate mentally but also her stance or her security, her net, her network um, and grasp for the throne start to slowly dwindle away by the fake, the fake threat of Jon Snow actually being a Targaryen, which we're not going to, we're not going to, no, we're not going to talk about. We're not even, no, we're not going to talk about that because I'm, I'm not trying to get angry right now. We're not going to talk about that. Regardless, regardless, we knew that she wasn't going to, she was not going to be the king or the queen, you know? So those two were out of the way. And then, then you think, okay, who, who's next? You know, it's not going to be Sansa because she hates anything but the North. And I think it was really good that they kept her in the North as what? Queen of the North? The Queen of the North, the Queen of the North. Um, <laughs> and I think that that was a good decision. And it was smart because we all know that she hates the Seven Kingdoms. You know? She hates anybody that is not from the North. And so that wasn't going to make sense. Oh, girl, Arya, we like she hates everybody else as much as Sansa does but she has never wanted to be in any sort of leadership role but since she is always like undercover and whatnot I knew that she wasn't going to do that you know especially 
when she told Gendry she wasn't going to do it, like, duh, you know, we knew that she was never going to be in any sort of leadership position just because that's not who she is. So she's out of the way. Who's next? Tyrion? He was never going to, he was never, even if he wanted to, they were never going to let him be the king because he was a dwarf. Um, Jamie, I don't think he, I don't think he would have been cut out for, I don't think he would have necessarily wanted it anyways. And I think also I knew that, I don't know. I had always, <laughs> this hurts my feelings so much. Up until he, he, he ripped my heart out and sharded on it and stepped and broke it to pieces by leaving Brienne of Tarth, our good sis, our stand um, for his dusty, crusty, nasty ass sister. Up until he did that. I was like, he is going to be with Brienne, you know, like, I don't see him really wanting to come back because I see him wanting to turn over this new leaf. <laughs> and so when he did that, I was like, well, he's just going to die, you know? And so I kind of knew that he, there was nothing left for him, period, or to do, but to die. And so it was kind of like... I knew that he was never going to make it. He was never going to make it to that point to even be considered for the throne. Um, nor do I think anybody would have wanted that, you know? Also, Cersei, I don't think she would have ever won. I think ultimately we knew that she was not going to be head of the the throne. Because also it's like she she was for so long. We're not going to leave the series, her still being her where she's at, you know? And so, again, who would it have been? Who would it have been? There's nobody left. So, like, it being Bran, it seems weird, but I think ultimately we all, like, again, the more you think about it, the more you're like, okay, that makes sense. It makes sense. And I think the way that everybody ended up kind of made sense, but I still would have liked to see more people die. And that's kind of just my, my faults with the overall season, which I said, we're not going to get into because I can't spend another hour and a half ranting about how terrible the Game of Thrones season finale was. But, um, I think that Bran was... He was the he was the right choice. He was the right choice. He was the most realistic choice. Ultimately, I don't think the throne could have gone to anybody else besides him. And with that being said, I'm happy with the ending. You know, I'm content. I hate almost everything else. But I think the way that they ultimately ended the entire series out in that regard, it made sense. It made sense. I, I really can't complain. So I don't know. Think about it. Once, once you think about it, you realize that that's kind of what needed to happen. So 
You can be you can be you can be mad about everything else. But I think we have to be honest and realize that Bran was the ultimate choice. He was the most realistic choice, truly. So I said what I said. And that's all I have for you folks. That's all I have for this week's episode. I really hope that this was short because I mean if it's not, it's whatever. But I feel like with what I had, it should be short. But that's all I have. Um I'm really excited for next episode because drum roll please. <laughs> Um, next episode is going to be the start of a little series I'm doing on this podcast, I guess, um, where we're going to be talking and exploring queer media and queer films and TV shows and stuff like that. Um, it, I'm going to talk more about it in next episode because next episode is going to be the introductory episode or the introduction to this series but we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks together talking about um some of our favorite queer movies tv shows media characters moments stuff like that um and so yeah i'm really excited look forward to more information about that coming soon but also look forward to our next episode as we start this little journey together i have been wanting to do this for a little bit i came up with the idea a little while ago but was not able to execute it in time for pride month that was kind of my ultimate goal but I think that it's never a bad time to talk about you know gay movies <laughs> it's never a bad time to talk about some gay stuff you know what I'm talking about so with that being said that's all I have for this episode um what else what do I usually say hmm if you want to stay updated and want to stay involved and engaged uh, but also want to continue to support this podcast please 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 go check out our instagram at sickflick.pod um, if you like watching the video versions of these podcasts subscribe to our channel or subscribe to this channel that puts them out uh, I will see you next week and I think that's all that I have so peace out Girl Scout.